One of my favorite stories comes from an airport when a United national flight was canceled and all of the passengers had to line up in front of this kiosk to get rerouted to a different flight. Long line, everyone was annoyed, but there was one man in particular who was in the back of the line who moved his way to the front of the line and said to the poor worker, I need to be on the next flight and it has to be first class. And the worker said, well, sir, I would love to help you. You just need to wait your turn and get back in line. He said, get back in line? Do you have any idea who I am? She smiled. She picked up the microphone and she said, ladies and gentlemen, if I may have your attention, please. There's a man here at the desk who does not know who he is. If you can come and help him, I'm sure he would greatly appreciate that. And I love that story. Here's what I want to ask you this morning. Let's start right here with a fundamental question. Who are you? How would you define that? How would you go about defining that? Who are you? What makes you, you? For some of us, we identify ourselves through our jobs. I am a teacher. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I am an employee at this particular company. For some, it's relationships. I am a husband. I am a wife. I'm a father or a mother. I'm a child. I'm a grandparent. Belong to this family unit. For some, it's our talents. I'm good at this. I'm good at numbers. I'm good at music. I'm good at sports. I'm good at this particular, particular thing. For some, it's accomplishments. I have won. I have done. I have gained. I have earned. Or maybe it's the lack thereof. I, I was let go. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't keep up with the status quo. You know what's fascinating with, with the concept of identity? 20 years ago, our concern with identity was identity theft, of people gaining our personal information and using that to take a lot of what we owned away. But that's not really our concern today. At least it's not our greater concern today. The greater issue with identity today is identity confusion, that we just don't really understand the true identity either of ourselves or of many things that exist around us. For instance, who is Jesus? During the Super Bowl, we saw this campaign, He Gets Us, and it portrayed this Jesus who looks a lot like you and I. It's a Jesus who was a refugee, a Jesus who was standing up against the political systems at the time. It didn't look a lot like the Jesus of the Bible, but it looks a lot like you and I today. Who is Jesus? And for some people, there's missed identity or a confused identity with the church. I mean, I know we're a few years outside of our isolation because of the quarantine, but there's still some people today who, who get this Lone Ranger mentality that, you know, I, I just don't see a need, an importance, either really a relevance to the church today. I can do what it is I need to do. I can be who it is I need to be in terms of my relationship with God. But in terms of the church and my relationship with people, I just don't really see a need there. I think you and I already know where we're going. If you take a big, broad step back, and you kind of catch what is the pulse of our nation today, let alone the world, is that there's a lot of confusion as to what people think and feel and behave about who they are. The current statistics are saying that one in five of our Gen Z children are identifying as LGBTQ+, where boys are believing that they are girls and girls are believing they are boys, which results in a change of attraction, a change in appearance, even in some situations, a change surgically in their bodies. All this comes back, all these issues come back to the same question, who are you? Like, what, what makes you, you? And so, Lord willing, for the next couple of weeks, I just want us to think about that. 
I want us to circle around in the word of God and to see what, what God has clearly defined for us as what we can know as to who we are in him. But we want to start here today. We want to start with a bedrock foundation as to how it is we determine our identity. What makes identity so important, not just for our young people, but for all of us, is that wrapped up in the concept of identity is our meaning. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And our worth. Am I, am I worthwhile? Am I important? Am I making a difference? And even our beliefs, my core values and understandings, the way I see the world and see life, all of that is wrapped up in this concept of identity. Now, how we get identity is sort of the question. How does one arrive at who they are? And there's really three common ways someone chooses or lands on their identity. There's a lot of people who draw their identity from the world. And the common collective thought of those around me determines who it is that I am. So what my neighbor thinks, what my peers believe, what social media seems to be portraying the most, that's where I'm going to follow and lean. But the problem with that is the world doesn't begin with God. The world doesn't have a starting place with God existing at all. And so you and I are accidents. You and I are nothing more than molecules in motion from some sort of an evolutionary process. And any meaning... Any purpose that truly exists only exists in ourselves. There's nothing outside of you or I that would determine why we're here or what we are to do here. And therefore, when you ask the purpose from the world standpoint, why are we here? What is our meaning or our purpose or our identity? It is whatever you want it to be. You do what you want to do, what makes you happy. You seek what makes you pleasing. Whatever feels right, whatever seems right, that's what you ought to pursue. And, and that's really an evil way of thinking, to convince someone that if I think something is right and I feel something is right, that automatically that makes it right. When it could be that our creator God has said explicitly that it is not right. world standards in terms of who we are and why we are here fall far short from God's expectations and the way that God has made us. Think that through for a moment. If I make my work my identity, who I am is my job and my occupation, what results then is that we work ourselves to death. I want to get higher and higher. I want to get more money. I want to get more accolades. I want to achieve that ultimate goal. If we make relationships our identity, that this is who I am, a married person. Well, if I never get married, I never really have a fulfilling life. Having children and, and grandchildren is your identity. If we're never able to have children, then I don't reach that identity. Or what often happens is... My mate becomes my all, and so my mate has to please me perfectly and completely, which is something only God can do. But we enter into that relationship with unfair expectations, and that marriage is doomed from the beginning. Because we've made our entire identity around the person, around the relationship. Even things like hobbies and interests like sports or games or music, it may be fulfilling for a moment, but at the end of it, you realize it's all vain. I think the most infamous example of this, you remember when Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl ring, and in that interview, he was asked about what it meant to him and how he felt, and the interviewer expected him to be glowing, right? Going to Disney, everything is great, but he said, there's got to be more than this. He said, you would expect that someone with three Super Bowl rings would, would have it all, but he said, there's something that seems to be missing, that there's got to be more to this life than simply football, and that's something that Solomon realized a long time ago. 
He says, I've seen everything in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. That there's really ultimately without God, nothing under the sun that's going to bring fulfilling, lasting meaning and purpose to who we are and why we're here. I think closely associated with this is that many draw our identity from within, from ourselves. That I get to determine who it is that I am, why I am here, my meaning, my value, my, my identity. And so maybe to quote all the way back from Hamlet when Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true. Um, you get to be true, just true, true to yourself. It's a, it's a mantra of, of that thinking. Or if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire about two sprinters and racers, one said, I've got 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole experience or my whole existence. Remember a quote? It's crippling. And I got 10 seconds to justify why I'm here on earth. For a lot of people, that's what it is. You listen to the modern songs today. Listen to your heart. Follow your dreams. Be true to you and true to yourself. I get to determine who I am. I am the one who says who I am, what I am, and why I am here. My feelings justify what it is that I think I am because what I feel is ultimately what is real. You know what the problem with that is? One, when feelings become the basis for my identity, feelings are really hard to identify what they really mean and why you have them. Right? You all have been here before. I still have got one who's right there. When you got little kids and they're rubbing their eyes and they're yawning and you say, oh, okay, it's time for a nap. And they go, I'm not tired. Well, all right, all right. Sure looks like you're tired to me. Seems like you're tired. Right? Sometimes we have a hard time identifying. Why, why am I feeling this way? What does this feeling mean? Another issue with feelings is that they're really fickle because what I feel today doesn't guarantee I'm going to feel that same way a little bit later on because how many of you in your 20s look back at what you were thinking and feeling when you were a teenager and think, boy, I missed it. I was dumb. And then you get the 30s and you look back at your 20s and think, I was clueless. I didn't have a, I, I didn't have a thought in the world. I would imagine then when you get to 40 and you look at 30, and 50 and look at 40 and 60 and 50. I don't know if there's ever an age when you think, I finally got it, I arrived. All along the way, we're changing and growing. And we think the things that seem so important and felt so right and true, when I gained a little more age and experience and knowledge, none of that really stayed the same. And so I'm going to base my identity on something I feel today that may not be the same tomorrow. And the real crux of it all is this. We need to lean on this. When people say, I determined who I am, this is who I am because I feel this way, there is not one of us, despite how hard we may clamor and say this is true, there's not one of us who arrives at what we believe or what we think on our own. Every single one of us are influenced by someone, by a parent, by a friend, by social media, by our God. That passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 isn't about making moral decisions. It is about a belief in the heart because the context is about the resurrection. But he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The way that we think, the way that we behave, the way that we live ultimately is influenced by, by someone or multiple someones. I think it's a great illustration if you can go back a couple of years. In fact, the year this movie came out, there was this article in one of the magazines, uh, Times, I believe it was, that says the year of identity. That identity finally became important. Do you remember the Pixar movie Inside Out? 
that showed you the inner emotions of this young girl named Riley. And we had anger and sadness and happiness and, and, and all these emotions. And throughout the movie, what was shown about this girl was that she had these core islands, which made her her. And so there was an island for family and an island for friendship and an island for sports and an island for being silly and goofy. In the midst of the movie, right, these islands made her her. In the midst of the movie, she faced a crisis because of some serious life change. And one by one, those islands crumbled and fell, and Riley became lost in terms of who she was. Think that through for a minute, beyond the fact it was an animated movie. There's something really profound there. There's got to be more to life than this, Right? What happens when you're no longer in your job and working the job you're doing right now? I'm not always going to be preaching. I mean, I hope to be preaching for a while. <laughs> but if I think I'm going to be preaching the rest of my life, there's going to be a season when, when I stop. What, what will I be then if that is my whole identity? What, what will happen if, if, heaven forbid, something happens to my family and my mate is gone or my children is gone? Who am I then? If my interests fail me, if my support system turns against me, there's got to be more about who I am than oftentimes what we make ourselves out to be. In fact, there's a question that's posed sort of in an antithesis about God's people in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, God is indicting his people here, but appreciate the question. Who can understand the deceitful nature of the heart? We can deceive others, but oftentimes we deceive ourselves. That we believe something about ourselves, and that doesn't necessarily make it true. That's where this comes into play. That the way we define who we are and why we are here is from our God, because the ending of that passage says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. It is God who is the one who reads, who knows the heart. And let's see why. We're going to Genesis chapter one in your Bibles. Here's where we are in Genesis chapter one. There's a reason that God is the one who is really the only one who is qualified to give us a clear, true definition of our identity, who we are and why we are here. And the reason being the first starting place is the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What flows from here is God, the creator, defining not only what was made, but why it was made. The purpose for which he created it. For instance, if you go down to verse 11, it says, Then the God, uh, God said, Let the earth sprout, uh, sprout forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. See what he said? The earth and the trees and all the vegetations were created. That's what they are. Vegetations and trees and plants. But they were created in order to yield seed and to bear fruit. Fruit which all other living things would eat from. The oxygen produced from which all other things would breathe. Go down to verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So God made stars and planets and suns and moons. That's what they are. Why did he make them? Well, to be a guiding force, to mark time and seasons and the changing of, of life on earth. You go a little further when he talks about in verse 22, God blessed them, the birds and the fish. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds and let the birds multiply on the earth. He made them what they are, creatures above and creatures below. And he gave them meaning and purpose. You are to fill this earth and multiply. 
You see the relationship? He defines what is, and he defines why it is. It's purpose and it's meaning. So in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. What did he make? Something very special. He created man and woman. What was their purpose? To bear the image of God. Created in his image. It's seen in their responsibilities to rule over all things on the earth as God ruled over all things that exist. It's seen in their very DNA, who they are intellectually, who they are molecularly, who they are spiritually is imitated by their God. He created them and he gave them purpose. Here's what this means. And we've got to land here. Identity is not something you and I determine. It is something we are given. I don't just get to determine who it is that I am. I don't get to determine why I'm here. I don't get to determine what my purpose is on earth. I don't get to determine that I am given that. And so, as Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him or as I like how the paraphrase puts it, that everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, look, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. That our God who was before us, above us, greater than us, the reason for us is the one who gets to determine our purpose. Why I am here and what I am to be doing here. Here's what this means. If God created us and God determines our purpose, there is no accidental, incidental details about you and I. We are his handiwork, male and female, created in this time, in this generation, on this planet, on this country, in this continent for a reason. That's what Paul would say in Acts 17, that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods of the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. He's not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So you're saying God has determined everything. You are a man or you are a woman by God's design. And you have certain talents and certain abilities and you don't have certain talents and certain abilities by God's design. And you live now. You're not alive in the days of Moses. You're not alive during the days when Jesus was on earth. You weren't here back in the Civil War period. You are here now in this country, in this place by God's design. None of that is accidental. None of that is happenstance. Every bit of that has to do with God's plan. And so who I am and why I am only really finds its meaning when I look to the one who got me life, who gave me life. In fact, Peter would say it this way. 
He says that, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The, the paraphrase on the left of New Living says, trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Why? Because he knows you and he knows why you're here and what you are to do. And so the beginning place of understanding who I am and why I am here and what I am to do on earth begins by knowing I am a created being. I am made and there is power. There is purpose. There is eternal understanding of who I am meant to be and understanding I am His. Know the Lord. He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, would you go with me to the book of John, all the way back in your New Testament to the book of John chapter 10. We're going to end right here. The language of identity and belonging to Jesus. It's the creation of the Creator. Or as the psalmist says here, of the sheep of his pasture, it's echoed in John 10 when Jesus speaks of himself as this good shepherd. There's two identifying markers here, two identification statements given in John 10 that help us to just reinforce this idea that our identity, who we are and why we are, is rooted and grounded in our God. It's seen here in John 10. One of the things we see right away is that we as his people are given a name. Verse 3. To him, it says, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd gives the sheep a name, knows their name, calls them by name. There's identity in a name. And knowing who you are and why you are. Think about that. God who gives us a name. In the very beginning, it was man, Adam, the first being. We today, who are of Christ's people, the new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, recreated. What names is given to the new people of God? You say, well, we're, we're called disciples. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're disciples. You could say we're light. Matthew 5 and verse 16, go shine your lights. You are the light of the world. And so we are lights in the midst of this world. We could look at attributes like 1 Peter 1, as we sang just a minute ago, that we are to be holy as he is holy. But keep your marker here in John 10. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Think back to what happened in Genesis 1, where God identified what was created and why it was created. What is and why it is. And in 1 Peter 2... Peter writes in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. There's our what? Chosen. Chosen by God. Chosen to be his people. You are a royal priesthood. There is nothing common or ordinary about any one of us. We are priests, servants of the most high God. We are a holy nation set apart from any other nation or collective of people that will exist under the face of the earth, and we are God's. We belong to him. There's a responsibility, but there's also a shared ownership, a protection of knowing we belong to the master. That's what we are. Here's the why. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see it? He's given us a name. He's given us an identity. He's given us a purpose and a reason. 
He calls us by name. This is who you are. I determine who you are. I determine your purpose. I determine your role. I determine your worth. It is me. This is your name. And so he calls them by name. But you also see back in John 10, he doesn't just call them by name. He gives them direction because he who calls them by name calls them to follow him. In verse 3, it says he calls them by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The sheep trust and follow the voice of the shepherd. Why? Because in verse 9, he is leading them to green pastures, to the place where they can rest and get nourished. Because in verse 11, he's laying down his life for them, giving his own life so they can live. Why? Because in verse 12, when everyone else runs in the face of danger, he stays. He stays and he fights and he defends and he protects. Why? Because in verse 14, he knows them. He knows them all by name because he's given them their name. And thus they know him. You know what's interesting about all this? This wrestle and this conflict with identity? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized? And upon arising out of the water, the Spirit came down and the light was shining. Do you remember that? And God spoke out of heaven in Matthew chapter 3. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 3 and verse 17? Do you remember? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Question. What happens next? Now think this through. Here's Jesus. He's baptized. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my son. I want you to know. I want to identify. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The next thing that happens is Jesus is out in the wilderness. And Satan is there. And what is Satan's question every single time? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Think that through. The father says, this is my son. What is Satan's test? If you are really the son of God, then why are you hungry? Why does this situation exist? If you are the son of God, turn this to, to, to bread. If you really are the son of God, then let's just put that to the test. Do you see what Satan's uh, temptation, his confrontation is all about? It's his identity. The father says, this is my son. And Satan's test again and again is, since you are the son of God, if you really are who you says you are, then let's put that to the test. And in every answer, Jesus responds, it's written. It is written. Which means it doesn't really matter what you say. It doesn't matter what the situation seems. It doesn't matter what I feel in the moment. It is written, the father has spoken, and it is so. God did not leave the direction of our life to be something dug out from within us, determined from deep down within us, that I just have to search myself and my heart and my mind, and I get to determine why I'm here and where I am to go. That is not the way that God made us. It is not within us to direct our own steps. There is a bedrock foundation in the word of God given to us, but here is a problem. And we can trace this from a long, long time ago. The Greeks were the ones who said, be wise, know yourselves. And then the Romans, the days of Jesus, they said, be strong, you discipline yourselves. 
It was the Epicureans who said, be sensuous and enjoy yourselves. Intellectualism today says, be knowledgeable, expand yourselves. Materialism says, be rich, spoil yourselves. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Human pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Do you hear it? It's within you. It's within your power. What does Jesus say? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. And if you're going to follow anything, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your feelings. Follow me. Follow me. The one who has named you and who has called you and is leading your way. Deny yourself and just follow me. And we got a lot of young people here. And this lesson is for all of us, but especially for those. We got a lot of high schoolers right here. And there's a lot of questions wrestling within your heart right now as to who you are. Why are you here? What are you here to do? What path are you going to choose going forward? Who are you going to become? What are you going to do with this life that God has given to you? There's a reason that Solomon said in concluding his book as to the purpose of life this. Remember your creator and the days of your youth. Remember, remember that you are a created being. Every single one of us, you are made. And you are made with a purpose. You are made with a plan. You are made with intention. You are made, given a name by God. And so remember, as you are forming who it is that you are and determining the path of your life, remember your creator in the days of your youth. As one author said, when you find your identity in God, you stop trying to find it anywhere else. That leaves our young people and that hits moms and dads and the rest of us where it needs to, right here. When you find your identity in God, you stop looking for it other places. I'm more than my job. It's more than relationships. It's more than my wealth or my investments. It's more than my family. It's more than my accomplishments or my name or my title. When you find who you truly are, who you were meant to be in God, the rest of it makes its own place. The rest of it settles itself. I am who I am because of God. I know my existence, not because of all these things I have done or am seeking. I am satisfied with who I am and why I am because I know the I am. That's why I am here. My identity rests in him. I was reading this week about the game in 2016 between the Cubs and the Indians, the World Series that took place. It was a fascinating exchange. I didn't know that happened in the midst of that final game for the World Series because the Cubs were winning with 63, and it was the seventh inning. It was theirs to win, and then the Indians caught right back up, and it was tied, tied at the end of the seventh. And so they went to the eighth inning, and momentum was on the side of the Indians, remained tied, went into the ninth inning, it remained tied, Seemed like Cubs were throwing it all away. And then it rained. And it rained and it rained. And they had to stall the game before they went on to their 10th inning. What I didn't know is what took place in the dugout. Because the right fielder for the Cubs gathered the team together. And all he said was, guys, remember who you are. What he was trying to get them to remember is, before the tournament, we were the best team in the regular season. This is ours to lose just as much as it is ours to win. This one author talking about this said, fueled by that truth, 
fueled by that truth, they went on to win the first World Series in 108 years. Now listen to that again. Fueled by that truth. Led by that truth, everything changed. What is fueling your mind and your heart today? What will fuel, propel your decisions as you enter into a new day, Lord willing, tomorrow? Remember who you are. Remember your creator and the days of your youth. I was made on purpose. And I was made for purpose. Thank you for listening so well. We're going to go from here to our Bible classes. We're going to have a word of prayer, a final song, and be dismissed to our classes. Let's be standing for that prayer, please. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.